You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 98, by Rudolf Steiner, the Listener's Notes of 18 Lectures, entitled Nature and Spirit Beings, Their Activity in Our Visible World, translated by Christian von Arnhem. This is Lecture 9, given in Stuttgart on the 7th of December, 1907, entitled The Human Being's Relationship with Nature. Today we shall speak a little about the extent to which the human being through the adoption of the theosophical worldview, not only learns something, not only is able to recognize something about the world and its beings, but to what extent the theosophical teachings, views, thoughts and ideas are able to have an effect on human sentiments and feeling. It is rightly emphasized so often that theosophy should not be something that merely acquaints us theoretically with higher worlds but that it should be something that penetrates into life, deeply into our lives. Now the view which is associated with these words is usually something trivial, something inferior, and we must rather form an opinion today about the precise meaning of such a view. Thoughts and ideas which we absorb through theosophy gradually flow into our whole feeling and sensibility in the most intimate way so that through theosophy we can become other people in the true sense of the word. Of course, that trivial opinion often consists in forming a certain idea from the outset that a theosophist must be like this or like that, and when they are not like that we say, I understand a theosophist to be something quite different. But I think that only a theosophist can judge what a theosophist is And if others, who are not yet theosophists, always say that they imagine something else under the term theosophist, then this opinion will probably not be very theosophical in most cases, because it cannot reflect a real understanding of the matter. We do not want to speak about such a trivial opinion today, but about the intimate transformation of our sentiments and feelings when we truly absorb theosophy. We want to deal with the question, can such thoughts which are communicated to us flow into all the forces of our soul and make us a new human being in relation to everything we experience inwardly? They can. The world around us, the ordinary world through which we pass, can take on a different appearance for us at every step if we understand theosophy. Today, of course, we must try to penetrate a little deeper into a theosophical understanding of the world. Around us are lifeless beings that we call minerals, plants, animals, other people. We know that behind these beings there are spiritual beings, that behind our physical world there is a spiritual world. We know that we can only perceive a small part of the human being standing before us with our senses, the physical body, that this human being has apart from this physical body, their etheric body, their astral body, their I, capital, we cannot perceive these last three elements with our ordinary senses. 
When we look at a stone, we say to ourselves, it differs from a human being in that as a mineral, as a stone, it has no etheric body, no astral body, no I in the physical world, but only the physical body. Of the plant, we know that it has a physical body and an etheric body. Of the animal, that it, additionally, has an astral body. And only the human being has the fourth element, the eye. This makes the human being the crown of our physical world. That they have one element, the eye, beyond all other beings. Only if we express it in this way is it correct. But if we express it just a little differently, then it is already wrong. If someone says here in the physical world the stone or the mineral only has a physical body, then that is correct. But if someone just leaves out these few words, quote, here in the physical world, close quote, then that is already wrong and fundamentally wrong. Although it looks so pedantic, it simply has to be said in order to spread a feeling of the precision with which we must speak in relation to these subtle things. Even the stone has its etheric body, its astral body, and its eye, only not in the physical world. The same applies to plants and animals. And it is very good, if we consider this very carefully, that we should look at the stone from a higher perspective, as a being that belongs to something other than as what it appears to us. Just look at your fingernails. Imagine if some very small being were to look at these nails and because it had no sense organs, could see nothing of the fingers. It would believe that these nails were something in themselves. And that is not true. These nails only have a meaning when they are on fingers. It is the same with all our minerals. People look at the minerals, but just as the nails belong to the fingers, so the physical body of the mineral belongs to an etheric body. Only this etheric body is no longer to be found in the physical world. The physical body of the mineral is in the physical world. The etheric body of the mineral is in the astral world. And for a being who looks into the astral world, it is just as if you traced the nails to the fingers. For this etheric body in the astral world belongs to the mineral. Likewise, the mineral has an astral body. Only this astral body of the mineral is in what we call Devakan. And finally, the mineral also has an eye. And this eye is in the higher Devakan world, in the Arupa world. So if we look at the minerals around us, they are projected entities, which, like our nails, protrude from the organism. That is, they protrude from the beings to which they belong, and which, in relation to their eye, are in higher worlds. Just as you have your nails here, so these beings have their limbs, which they extend, first into the lower Devakan world, then into the astral world, and then they still grow nails below that, the minerals on earth. So when you look at a mineral, you needn't think that this one mineral has an eye but there are many related minerals together in a common eye. There are few such mineral personalities up on the Devakan plane. The plant differs from the mineral 
in that it has its physical body on the physical plane and also its etheric body. In the astral world, it has its astral body, and on the Devakan plane, it has its eye. The eye of the plant is one step lower than that of the mineral, so that on the lower Devakan plane, we meet beings who have the plant as their lowest element. Animals have their physical body, their etheric body, and their astral body all on the physical plane, here in the physical world, and their eye in the astral world. All animals belonging to one species, all lions, do not each have an eye for themselves, but a collective eye. This eye is also called the group eye of the animals. The human being differs from the animals in that they also have their eye on the physical plane. So, when you look at an animal, if you look at this animal with the gaze of the theosophist, the feeling must arise in us. You find an eye in every human being, in every individual human being. In the case of the animal, you cannot find an eye on the physical plane. You must ascend to the astral plane, so that the astral plane is populated by these animal group eyes. The lion eye on the astral plane is a very different being from the individual lion, just as your fingers are a different entity from yourself. There are group eyes of animals that are much cleverer than the cleverest human beings on the physical plane. These group eyes are the guides and promoters and shapers of what the animal experiences here on the physical plane. And no one ever comes to a true understanding of animal life who does not know that what the animals do here is only the expression of measures taken above by the animal group eyes. Take that remarkable phenomenon that at a certain season the bird world of the northeast begins to migrate on a line to the southwest, that in the spring it returns again. Each species migrates at a certain height, and you can imagine that these bird migrations are connected with important instincts in this animal world. The spring migration is a nuptial flight. If you ask about the wise institutions that underlie it, you cannot understand them unless you realize that it is the group eyes that direct and guide everything. Everything that happens in the animal world takes on a different aspect for us when we know about this presence of the group eyes. Imagine you have a wall with various holes. A person puts their hands through them. What an error we would fall into if we believed that these hands were beings in themselves. Such is the error of a person who regards the animal as a being in its own right. It is wise beings who guide the flight of birds. Thus the animal world becomes for us the expression of a world of wise beings who are behind it. We become acquainted with a wonderful world of beings and no longer so thoughtlessly pass by the events that we directly encounter. In fact, these animal group eyes are always to be found within the surroundings of our earth. These animal group eyes are constantly circling the earth spiritually, like the trade winds, or the migrating birds, or the electric and magnetic currents that go around the earth. Thus, there are spiritual currents and movements which represent nothing other than the actions of the animal group eyes. If we now look at the plant world, 
it presents us with something similar. We see the outer plant. That which we have before us as a plant is the physical body and the etheric body. But if we rise to the astral plane, we have the astral bodies of the plants, and in the Devakan plane, we have the plant eyes. There is a bigger number of such plant eyes for our earthly plant world, but all these plant eyes have a common place where they are together. That is the center of the earth. All plants are such that they strive with their being to come together in the center of the earth. Now, see what becomes of the earth itself when we look at it from this point of view. It does not become the body as which geology presents the earth, but the earth itself becomes a living being with an eye. The individual plant has no astral body, but all plants are immersed and enveloped in an astral body, so that we can imagine the whole plant world of the earth something like this. All plants belong to the astral body of the earth, and in the center of the earth is the eye of the plants. Thus the earth becomes a conscious being for us. Just as your eye is in your body and sends out its rays to the fingers, so the earth has its eye in its center and sends out the rays to the individual plants. Like our hair, the plants are organs of the earth organism. Every plant strives toward the center of the earth as toward its eye. In the spiritual world, countless beings can be combined in one place, in the same place. The spatial relationships in the spiritual world are different from those in the physical world. The plant eyes can all meet in the center of the earth. The weed has a different eye from wheat. The two eyes are not well disposed toward one another, but they both have their eye in the center of the earth. Such a truth must not only be grasped with the intellect, it must be felt in every step of life. The plant cover of the earth becomes something different to us when we walk along with the feeling that these plants are the outer physical expression of a spiritual content that is connected with the earth. The earth has their eye, but all this lives itself out in the plants. Not until we look at the matter in this way and do not remain with the mere concept does it take on life. Have we grasped it in the right way? For then we know that what we do to the plants produces something similar to what we do to the human being. If we give a person a slap, it hurts them because they have an astral body. The etheric body cannot feel pleasure and pain. It does not hurt the individual plant when it is pressed because not all individual plants have an astral body. But the earth has the communal astral body of the plants, and what you do to the plant hurts it. And in the center of the earth are the eyes of the plant. There what we do to the plant becomes conscious. If we grasp this teaching as something we assimilate with all the forces of our soul, we walk differently over the surface of the earth, Thus every step in our life becomes an interaction with the earth as with a conscious being. And we know that this earth feels pleasure and suffering and joy and pain as a whole. Only we must feel this in the right way. We might believe that when we cut a plant it hurts the earth. That is not the case. 
Only the person who can see into the way the astral body of the earth works can give information about the details. When you break off a flower, it is a feeling similar to when a calf suckles milk from a mother cow, which gives the cow a kind of feeling of well-being. What the earth makes sprout in plants can be compared to the milk coming out of the animal, so that you can pick flowers and that gives the earth a feeling of well-being. But if you pull them out by the root, it hurts the earth as if you were cutting into flesh. If you take this in a way that is filled with life, then you will notice the spiritual relationship you obtain with the earth. When the scythe cuts through the stalks, the clairvoyant sees feelings of well-being sweeping over the earth, over the fields. When a field is mown, a flood of feelings of well-being sweeps over the earth. Our relationship with the world deepens wonderfully when we enter into these truths in a living way. And we feel how it hurts the earth when we tear the plants from the earth, as it does when a hair is torn out of our head. We might object, yes, but it is sometimes a very good feeling not to pull out all the flowers, but to leave them in nature. And sometimes it is good to move the plants and pull them out by the roots. That does not change the fact that uprooting causes pain and picking causes well-being. The moral side is different from the fact itself. A moral approach that has its justification in human life must not be applied to the cosmos. Think when someone begins to get the first white hairs, it may be desirable from an aesthetic point of view to pull them out. They may become more beautiful, but it hurts them. So it may be desirable to transplant plants, but it hurts the earth. Now the question is whether it isn't necessary to cause such pain, or May or should we cause this pain? Pain is in many ways inseparable from existence. The human being enters the world through the pain of the mother. That which is born is born in pain. Even if it may be necessary to uproot plants, there is always the earth's pain. In this way our concepts and ideas pass over into intimate feeling and sensation. We begin to notice all the things we do not perceive in our surroundings, when we know nothing about all these things. In our surroundings there is always feeling and sensation and life. It is not only a mechanical process when the scythe cuts through the stalks, but floods of sensations flow over the field in autumn. This is how we learn to live our way into the beings around us. And rock? We have said of rock that it has its eye just like the human being only in a much higher world. This rock eye and this rock astral body feel and have sensations just as the earth does when you uproot or pick a plant. And it is not just a mechanical process when the quarrymen in the quarry break out stone after stone. The person who uses only their senses sees the stones that are blasted loose as a process of the outer world, that something similar is happening is experienced in a soul, is something we learn when we immerse ourselves in theosophy. But you must not judge by analogies. You must proceed in the concrete. We might think that hammering in the quarry causes pain. That is not so. You can do the mineral kingdom no greater favor than when you break a stone. 
that is its true pleasure. And there is an outpouring of pleasure when you blast in a quarry and the stones are hurled in all directions. The stone is a true longing and a passion to be split, to be shattered, to be torn apart. In contrast, something else causes pain and suffering to the being that underlies our rock world. If you have dissolved table salt in a glass, and this table salt begins to precipitate, so that it precipitates as solid salt, when what has been dissolved aggregates to form a solid body, then the being concerned suffers pain. When you dissolve again what has been combined, then it experiences pleasure. If you were to reassemble the disintegrated rock fragments into the original rock, it would hurt the rock soul tremendously. Consider that this is basically how our earth was built. It was a body of fire. And so that you could get solid ground under your feet, solid bodies had to be grouped together with the greatest variety of solutions and watery forms. Once our earth was such that all metals were molten, then the first islands were formed. This was associated with enormous pain. That the earth could become our dwelling place, that happened in pain, and what is described in natural science, this solidification of the earth, refers at the same time to spiritual processes. When a person who has insight into things experiences a volcanic eruption, for example, how the dissolved masses flow out and solidify, then they see streams of suffering of the lava soul flowing down the mountain. Thus the whole of nature is ensouled for us when we know these things. But this is also what the initiates have always told humanity. The words of the initiates, as a rule, have deep meaning and deep value, and sometimes not just one meaning. Understand that the earth was once a fluid body of fire, that this kingdom of rock solidified and coalesced. It was through suffering that the earth evolved into our dwelling place. It was only through the suffering of the rock kingdom that we were able to reach a certain state of development. The sufferings of rock will only cease when the final state of the earth arrives, when the earth will again become softer, when it will again become spiritual. Put yourself in this state of the earth, fiery, fluid earth, the people still spiritual in it, the rock masses solidify, continuous pain and suffering for the progress of humanity in the lifeless rock kingdom. How better to put this than, quote, for every creature groans in pain, awaiting adoption, close quote. We cannot go deep enough if we really want to understand sayings of the initiates. All this shows that understanding the world is something quite different from abstraction. When the concepts are deepened, then the experiences and the feelings come to us through which we see into the soul nature flowing through the world. Everything becomes for us an expression of the soul in some form. Then every step in our life becomes something different because we enter into a relationship not only with the beings in front of our senses, but with the unknown beings on ever higher planes of the world. We must just find our way into the quite different way in which this is lived. So we learn how to find the soul in the plant, in the animal, in the mineral, 
So we get to know the soul of a whole people. A whole people also has a common soul. And what is called a folk soul is not a dead concept. It is something real. When a people comes into being, let us say the Goths, and passes away again, it is a coming into being and a passing away just as with individual human beings. But something soul-like lives in the whole people, and the individual human beings are the members of this folk soul embedded in the substance of the folk soul, which in turn has its own destiny, its suffering and joy. At first we acquire an inkling, then ever greater knowledge that all around us the world is flooded everywhere with pleasure and pain, everywhere there are old things and young things in nature around us, as in ourselves. This is what changes us as people through the theosophical teachings. Acquiring theosophical understanding means putting theosophy into practice in life in an intimate way. It is as if the theosophical concept were a seed which we put into its appropriate soil. Then it sprouts up and becomes blossom and fruit when it becomes feeling and sentiment. And we then live our way deeply, deeply into our environment through feeling and sentiment. When through theosophy plants and stones become not only objects of observation for us, but our friends and fellow beings, we warm to us through theosophical contemplation, whom we learn to love as we learn to love human beings. Then, gradually, the understanding will dawn on us, the perspective will open up of the tremendous educational value theosophy will have for the whole future. Imagine people in two, three, four, five centuries who will not only think the concepts of karma and reincarnation, but will walk through the world with such feelings as we have indicated, and how all human life, all education, will then be different when human beings will be able to hear the pulse beat of beings everywhere, when they lay their hand on a tree and feel the pulse of the earth, when they break the stone and experience the feeling of well-being that passes through the stone soul, and they become aware that the earth has had to endure pain, then human beings will walk differently over this earth, then life will be different, and the right empathy through human beings themselves will prevail and be alive. The end of Lecture 9